Amen. Uh, my name is Will. If we haven't met yet, I have the privilege of serving as the pastor of this church, and I dress up in a tie once a year, so uh, take a good look. But when I talk to my neighbors, uh, when I talk to people at the coffee shop, when I talk to other parents at the playground or wherever it might be, when the topic of God or religion comes up, if it comes up, it's not uncommon to hear people tell stories of how they walked away from God. And usually, um, often, sometimes it's philosophical, it's their belief, it's theological, they had a hard time believing, but most of the time, people that have walked away from their faith, people that have walked away from God, most of the time it comes because there was a point in their life where they felt disappointed in God. Maybe something horrific happened in their life where just any faith they had was shattered. Maybe they lost someone they loved, a relationship ended, or they experienced abuse of some sort. The stories are endless of why people can feel disappointed with God. I think of Ted Turner, the billionaire owner of TBS, CNN, and Ted's Montana Grill. If, I don't know if you're familiar with Ted Turner, but he's a very outspoken atheist. But if you know his story of, of his atheism, it's actually very, very sad because when he was young, he was a church-going kid, had a family that went to church, and he was you know, a good church kid, loved church, loved God. He actually wanted to be a missionary. That's what he wanted to be, Ted Turner. But when he was 15 years old, his 12-year-old sister contracted lupus, a degenerative d- disease, And she died essentially a very slow and very painful death as a young, young little girl. And just a few months after that happened, Ted Turner's father, who was just so distraught and brokenhearted over the loss of his daughter, committed suicide. And so Ted Turner decided right there at 15 years old, and he said this in an interview later, he said, I decided in that moment that if God could allow something like that to happen to my family, then I want nothing to do with him. He was disappointed with God. Some people walk away from their faith when they're disappointed with God. Others of us and other people, they may not leave their faith when disappointment comes, but it may just rattle them or rattle us in a, in a really tremendous way. I think of C.S. Lewis. And he was a, C.S. Lewis is a great defender of the faith, one of the great philo- Christian philosophers of the 20th century. And his wife actually passed away when he was later in life. They were only married for a little less than two years, I think. And he, after she died, he actually wrote a book on grief and the publisher made him publish it under a pseudonym because they were so afraid because it was so raw and he was so honest about his feelings toward God in that moment after his wife passed away that the publishers were afraid that he would lose all his Christian readers because they would think he's being irreverent or that he's lost his faith. He hadn't lost his faith. He was just being honest about his pain. He was disappointed in God. And... My heart goes out to people with stories like that. I can't imagine the pain. I've experienced pain in my life, but none to the degree where I've been tempted to leave my faith in that way. But that might be you this morning. You feel like God's let you down. You feel like you're disappointed. And you're at church on Easter Sunday. And this is the day in the church calendar where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And the question then becomes is how in the world does an event that happened 2,000 years ago have any effect on our pain and our disappointment today? How do, does it matter at all? And this morning, I want us to look at John chapter 11. And we're going to look at how Jesus approaches those who've been disappointed in him, 
and how the resurrection changes their perspective and what that means for all of us today. So look with me, John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was ill. His name was Lazarus of Bethany. Bethany was the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary previously who had anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. And so the sisters sent to Jesus saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. So, so far in this story, we have three characters, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, three people, all close friends of Jesus. It says he loved them. Lord, he whom you love is ill. Later, we're going to know that Jesus loves Mary and Martha as well. These are his friends. He loves them deeply. And what we find out in the first couple few verses is that Lazarus is sick in Bethany, which is a little town right outside of Jerusalem. And Jesus is about 20 miles away. We know this because it says he's across the Jordan River, which is the same spot he was baptized, which is about 20 miles from where they were. And they didn't have cars, they didn't have trains. Um, I mean, they had to walk. And so they send a messenger, takes about a full day's journey to walk over the terrain, finally gets there. And so they send a messenger to tell Jesus that Lazarus is sick and that he's dying. And, you know, you got to think, Mary and Martha, they've seen Jesus heal strangers. They've seen Jesus feed thousands of people with just a few loaves of bread and a few fish. And so they're thinking, look, this is simple. Find Jesus. Tell him Lazarus is sick. Jesus will come by. He'll fix Lazarus. Isn't this how we often feel? i got a problem. I'm going to let God know about it. He'll fix it. This is easy. Simple. But this story is not as linear as we would like it to be, much like our lives. It has some twists and it has some turns in it. And what Jesus actually says when the messenger arrives actually frames the entire story. He says, verse 4, when Jesus heard it of Lazarus' illness, he says, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now look at this, verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. That's key. He loved them. So, Jesus loved them. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That doesn't make sense, does it? Jesus loved Lazarus. Lazarus is deathly ill. Time, I mean, time is of the essence. Jesus loves him so much that he waits for two days. Today is my wife's birthday. This would be like me saying, I love, happy birthday, Rebecca, everybody, yes. This would be like me saying, I love Rebecca so dearly, so I'm going to wait until Thursday to tell her happy birthday. In fact, it's April 1st, so her birthday is on April Fool's. I tried this one time in our first year of marriage, did not go over well. I had her sister call me at work that day and she was like, what is wrong with you? Jesus loved them, so he waited two days. Why? What's going on? And we're actually going to find out that Jesus waiting those two days is actually, would actually cost Lazarus his life. What in the world is going on? What is Jesus doing here? It says, verse 7, Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. Look down at verse 11. He says, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And now Jesus' disciples are a little stupid here. In verse 12, they're like, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll, he'll recover. He'll wake up. Why do we have to walk 20 miles in the desert? 
if he's just asleep. And Jesus is like, you guys, knuckleheads, you don't understand what I'm saying. It says, now Jesus had spoken of Lazarus' death, but they thought that he meant taking a rest as in sleep. So it says, I like this, it's like Jesus told them plainly. He had to speak to them like children. He's like, you don't understand metaphors, you guys. Lazarus is dead. He says, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad that he was not there so that you may believe. So let us, but let us now go to him. So Jesus has waited a few days. Now he's headed toward Lazarus. And now when he came to the tomb, verse 17, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Lazarus was dead for four days by the time Jesus had gotten there. And there's actually something very significant about the fourth day. Jewish belief at the time, and we find this all throughout rabbinic literature, is that they believed that the soul, what one soul, when you died, it would actually hover over the body for three days. And then on the fourth day, the soul would depart from the body and go to paradise for eternity. And so Jesus actually intentionally waits until all hope is gone. Jesus waits to the point He waited to the point where everybody is thinking, Lazarus' soul is gone. His soul has departed from the body. All that's inside that tomb is just skin and bones. It's over. It's final. No no hope left. Now skip down to verse 21. Martha comes to Jesus and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And see, isn't this the million dollar question? God, where were you? If you were here, this wouldn't have happened. This is the same thing Ted Turner said. If God was here, this wouldn't have happened. Therefore, God must not be here. C.S. Lewis, when his wife passed away, he said, I go to God now when my need is desperate. And what do I find? A door slammed in my face. And a sound of bolting and double bolting inside. If you had been here, God, he wouldn't have died. They're disappointed. But Martha says, verse 22, But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know! I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Yeah, I know that one day he will rise, but what about now? You know when you're in pain and like your Christian friends will say to you something like, all things work together for good. And you're like, if you don't shut up right now, you're going to get a throat punch. Because when you're in pain, you don't want to hear all things are going to work together one day. Just have faith. This is what's going on with Martha right now. She says, yeah, yeah, Jesus, I know that my brother will rise again on the last day. But he's dead today. And where were you? I don't want to hear about all spiritual stuff, Jesus. I just want to know why you didn't save him today. I want to know why I'm hurting right now. And Jesus said to her, no, 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 Martha, you're not hearing me. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he says, do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. 
And when she had said this, she went and she called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when Mary heard it, she rose quickly and she went to Jesus. And look at verse 32. It says, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Notice, exact same thing her sister said. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But Jesus doesn't respond the same way. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Shortest verse in the English Bible says, Jesus wept. He burst into tears. He sobbed. He was greatly troubled and deeply moved in his spirit over the fact that Mary was grieving and that Lazarus was dead. In verse 38, it says, Then Jesus deeply moved again. Jesus is emotional. He feels. We often think Jesus is like straight-faced, you know, hippie white Jesus who never gets rattled or anything. But Jesus, he's emotional. He was deeply moved again, and he came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus says, take away that stone. And Martha, I I love this. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. Isn't that hilarious? The details here. Martha's like, if you roll away the stone, Jesus, it's going to be bad. It's going to stink. And she's like, look, this was my brother. I've been in his bedroom when he was alive. And it smelled awful then. He's been dead for four days. He had not brushed his teeth. He's had to change his socks. I mean, it's going to be, he's decompo- it's going to be bad. He was bad enough when he's alive. This is going to be bad. Anybody here rocking a King James Bible? You know what it says in the King James Version? He stinketh. That's what it says. I love it. People talk about life verses, you know, like, oh, I can do all things through Christ. That's my life verse. You know what my six-year-old son's life verse is? He stinketh. Verse 40. Jesus reminds her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? See, I want you to notice something. Verse 38, it says Jesus was deeply moved. And that word, if you look at the original language, it should probably be translated more like the Lord was deeply angered. See, in the original language, in the Greek, the language that the New Testament was written in, the word used for moved is actually a word that was always used for animals when they were angry. So it gives this picture of an animal snorting with anger. So picture a bull that's like ready to charge. Think of the charging bull down on Wall Street. That bull's ready to go. It's digging its hooves into the ground and it's stirring up the dust and it's getting ready. It's angry. Jesus was angry at death, angry that it took his friend, angry angry that it brought sorrow on these two women whom he loved so much, and Jesus was ready to charge. One author, love him or hate him, John Calvin, gives the picture of Jesus getting ready to enter into a fighting ring. I love it. Jesus, like a wrestler preparing for a contest, he groans because the violent tyranny of death, which he had to overcome, now stands before his, before his eyes. Anybody in here, don't be ashamed. Anybody here watch WWE? Or did when you were a kid? I watched when I was a kid, right? Yeah? This is like one of those pro wrestling promos, or like a UFC weigh-in. It's like where Ric Flair and the Ultimate Warrior are staring each other down trying to intimidate each other. You know, Ric Flair's in the rope. 
And the ultimate warriors saying all these psychopathic things. What are they doing in that moment? They're trying to intimidate each other. They're trying to rattle each other before the big fight. And this is Jesus staring into the eyes of death. It's a showdown. And Jesus is going to taunt death itself. Look at what he does. It says, so when he said, roll away the stone, verse 41, they rolled away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out, notice, with a loud voice. Jesus got no chill here. Lazarus, come out. And I love what D.A. Carson says, a New Testament scholar. This is awesome. He says, if Jesus hadn't called Lazarus by name, every single grave in Jerusalem would have immediately given up their dead on that day. In verse 44, it says, the man who died came out. Jesus is taunting death. You got no power over me. I can take back anything that you have stolen from me with just my voice. He cries out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. This is a victory cry. This is Jesus. He's a passionate fighter taunting his enemy and saying, you have no power over me. Here's what I want you to see this morning. Lazarus was dead. Mary and Martha were disappointed. But Jesus was bigger than death and he was bigger than their disappointment. Three people, three experiences. Jesus encounters all three of them in three unique ways. And I hope that today on this Easter Sunday, you will see that Jesus wants an encounter with you as well. I want us to look at Martha first. And what we find out in his account with Martha, his encounter with Martha, is that Jesus is with us. He weeps with us in our disappointment. One of the things I love about the wisdom of Jesus, earlier in the Gospel of John, in chapter 2, verse 24, it says that Jesus knows what is in every person. He knows everyone. He knows what's in our hearts. And so what this means is that all throughout Jesus' ministry, all throughout the Gospel of John, you see when Jesus approaches somebody, he's able to read their heart. And he approaches everybody differently just the way that they need it. Sometimes he's very tender with the woman at the well. Sometimes he's very tough and to the point, like with Nicodemus. See, Jesus always knows exactly how to minister to everyone he encounters. And in this story, he does the exact same thing. If you're paying attention you'd have noticed that Martha and Mary both expressed their disappointment to Jesus in the exact same way, exact same sentence. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus doesn't have a cookie-cutter way to address that sorrow. He approaches them each differently. Let's look at Martha first. How does he respond to her? It says he saw her weeping, and he was deeply moved in his spirit. And he wept with her. And most of you, you know this. Sometimes when we're in pain, sometimes we want answers, don't we? But sometimes we just need people to shut up and weep with us, don't we? Like, I don't need an answer. One of the things I've learned in nine years of marriage is that my wife doesn't always want my advice or my answers. (laughs) She wants my empathy, right? She doesn't need me to solve the problem. She She just wants me to agree with her that there is one. And so when my wife comes home and she's laying out the details of a difficult day, she doesn't, she's not asking me to fix it. it take, it's t- I still haven't gotten that through my thick, stupid skull. She just wants me to listen and to just say, that stinks. 
And Jesus knew this as well for Martha. He knew that when she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. He doesn't defend himself. He's not like, look, Martha, trust me. He doesn't defend himself. He doesn't even tell her, hey, look, it's going to be okay. He just weeps with her. Isn't this amazing that Jesus knows the end of the story, but it still grieves him to see the person he loves in pain? If you're a parent and hear of like a teenager, you probably understand this. You got a teenager, they're in ninth grade, their true love breaks their heart. And you're like, this is not a big deal. Like in the scheme of things, you're going to get over it. But you're, you care for your, little, your 15-year-old, and so you weep with them because their heart is broken. Even though you know that in the scheme, it's not a big deal. But you weep with them. And Jesus weeps with her even when Jesus knows the pain is temporary. Because it breaks his heart to see those who, he, whom he loves in pain. And see, often, this is a lesson we can learn from this, often we Christians sometimes focus on the spiritual life that we neglect the physical life. And we think everything is about everyone's soul and their eternity. And we, th- we, th- and we neglect the physical and the present. And Jesus shows us with Martha here that he does care about, or Jesus will show us with Mary that he does care about our eternity. But with Martha, he reveals to us that he cares about our right now. He cares about the moment with us. He cares about the physical and the present. You know what this means? Jesus cares about the souls of the people of the world. But it also means that he cares about Stephon Clark. It also means that he cares about the children who are being trafficked all over the world. He cares about the homeless in our city. He cares about the unborn children. He cares about the single mom, the unemployed dad. He cares about the middle school kid who's being bullied every day. Jesus cares about your right now. When your heart is breaking, his heart is breaking with you. He weeps. To quote my friend, Pastor James Roberson III, who preached an amazing sermon at his Good Friday service this Friday. He says, the question is not whether Jesus cares. The question is whether we cast our cares on him. See, Jesus wept with Martha because he he cared for her. He knew how the story was going to end, but it still broke his heart to see her crying. Jesus wept. And so whatever you're going through today, if you're disappointed, know that Jesus is weeping with you. He feels with you and for you. But what we find in Mary is not only does Jesus weep with us in our disappointment, he overcomes our disappointment. See, Mary didn't need a shoulder to cry on. She needed Jesus to explain what he was doing. And see, sometimes we want an answer, don't we? And she says, look, Jesus... I got to know, why did Lazarus have to die? I need you to tell me, Jesus, and don't be silent. So Jesus gives her an answer. And he he says, look, Lazarus is going to rise again. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. See, he tells Martha, he he, he tells Mary, I'm doing something. There's more to your story than this pain that you're feeling right now. And we need to know this too, don't we, sometimes? We need an assurance that God is in control of our lives. That if God can raise Lazarus from the dead, and then if there, can, if there can be purpose in Mary's pain, maybe there can be purpose in ours. And we don't have to understand it, but can we trust that, what, that the Apostle Paul was right when he says, for our light and momentary afflictions are preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. See, the truth that we need to know is that even though our pain and our disappointment is very real, 
God is still sovereign and he's still good and he can use our pain to do something in our lives that's beautiful. Jesus told Mary what was going to happen. He told her how the story ended and it gave her comfort. And he has told us how our story ends. In this world, you will face trouble. But take heart because I've overcome the world. Jesus has told us, you're going to face trouble today, but take heart because I've overcome it and I am overcoming it. And he tells us the same thing that he told her in this moment. I am the resurrection and the life. Listen, whoever believes in me, though they may die, yet they shall live again. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he asks, do you believe this? Jesus says you'll face pain and disappointment today, but belief in him will unlock the, the, it will, bring you into his kingdom where there will be no more crying, no more pain, and every tear will be wiped away from your eyes and you'll be with him forever. Pain, death, disappointment, it's only temporary if we will just believe God at his word. See, he brings to life that which is dead and he asks, do you believe this? I think of, we had a guy in our church, his wife just gave birth this week and we got a few more coming down the pike. (laughs) A lot of pregnant families in this church. But with childbirth, It's excruciatingly painful. I don't know, but I watched it. It's so painful, right? It's messy, it's hard, and there's screaming, and there's blood, and it's hard, and it hurts. But when it's over, the pain is swallowed up in the glory of that newborn child. And for Mary, the pain of losing her brother was swallowed up by the joy of seeing him again. And all of life's disappointments that we experience will be swallowed up in the glory of Christ when we see Jesus face to face. And Jesus asks, do you believe that? So Jesus is with us in our disappointment. He weeps with us, but he also overcomes our disappointment. But then there's a guy in this story who never says a word, but the story, his experience is profound. And it's Lazarus, and it tells us that Jesus gives life. See, all of those, the things I've just talked about might seem theoretical and maybe even distant for you. But I want you to consider Lazarus right now. Even though he never utters a word in this story, his story is amazing. See, most, many of us can relate to Lazarus. Maybe you come in here today and you feel like you're walking around without a purpose. You're walking around without hope, without joy. Maybe you feel like the joy has departed from your body. You're walking around, maybe even you feel like without life, or you feel like life is not worth living. But Lazarus is proof that nothing in your life is final. Nothing in your past has to define you. And nothing that has happened to you must mark you forever. See, Lazarus was dead. His life was over. He stunk. (laughs) He was decomposing. His life was defined, it was labeled, a tombstone was being inscribed and put in the ground. It was over. His life was over. And everyone around him, think about this, everyone around Lazarus that day felt like if that stone was rolled away, the only thing that would come out of that tomb is the stench of a dead man. But Jesus commands him to roll the stone away and he calls Lazarus to come forth and Lazarus comes out with new life. And perhaps you're here this morning and you feel like your life is falling apart. And maybe you think that if the stone of my life was rolled away and people could see inside, if they could see my heart, all that, all that would come from that is just a stench. 
You feel like, man, if people could just see who I really am, they would be repulsed. But Jesus is calling to you. He says, come forth. Nothing is final. Your mistakes, your past, your shame, your experiences, they don't have to define you. You may feel like your life is over, but Jesus speaks a better word. Come forth. And how do we know that Jesus can offer us new life? How do we know that Jesus can give us a second chance? How do we know that we can be, as he told Nicodemus, born again and start all over with a new life? We know that that he can give us new life because he gave his life for ours. So you would think in this story, you're like, oh, the climax of the story is Lazarus walking out of a tomb. And everybody's like, what? But the climax of the story actually happens after Lazarus gets out of the dead. That's when the story starts to heat up. It says that immediately after Lazarus got out of the tomb, it says the religious leaders immediately started conspiring to kill Jesus. This was the thing that set them over the top. They were like, he's raising people from the dead. We've got to kill this guy. We've got to control this crazy prophet. Verse 53 says, so from that day on they made plans to put him to death. See, and Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that by resurrect, resurrecting Lazarus, he knew that he was essentially sealing his own execution. In other words, Jesus knew that by giving Lazarus life, he would have to die in Lazarus' place. For Lazarus to live, Jesus would have to die. And likewise, for you and I to experience the eternal life, the second chance, the born-again life that Jesus offers, we must embrace that Jesus has willingly died in our place. He died our death so that we can have his life earlier I said that John chapter 11 is like the way in where Jesus is standing face to face with death and he's taunting it. Lazarus, come forth. You got no power over me. If John 11 is kind of the way in, the promo, John chapter 20, that's the main event. It's the octagon. It's the WrestleMania. Because this, Jesus isn't facing somebody else's death. This is where he faces death itself faces his own death. In the final chapters of John, Jesus is executed on a cross. He's placed inside a tomb. You know what's in that tomb? Two things, Jesus and death. That's all that's inside that tomb. It's like a cage match. Nothing goes in, nothing comes out. There's Jesus and death. Only one can walk out alive. How's it going to play out? Can only be one champ. But this is Easter. This is where Jesus goes face to face with our greatest enemy, the very thing that stands between us and God, our sin, our death. And Jesus walks out victorious. Jesus walks out. He enters the tomb with just him and death. And while he's in there, he delivers a knockout punch and walks out in victory. I think of Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali standing over a Sonny Liston, triumphing. Got nothing on me. Jesus, death. Jesus walks out completely victorious. Jesus died in our place, defeated our death, and gives us his life. He took Lazarus' death and gave Lazarus his life. He takes our death upon himself so that we can have his life. If you confess with your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because he lives, sin has lost its power and death has lost its sting. And Jesus, he says to Mary and Martha, and he says to us today, 
I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And the question you must wrestle with today is, do you believe this? Are you disappointed with God? Do you believe that he is the resurrection and that life in him gives a new life? Let's pray.